many of us will remember sitting around the good old Formica kitchen table back in the 1960s and 70s. Eastbourne-based poet Maggie Rainey-Smith takes us back to those times in her new collection Formica. The oatmeal-coloured Formica table was always a centre point for her family, where Maggie's mother regularly recited poetry as she prepared dinner. We follow Maggie from childhood through to her 70s, from daughter to grandmother, and celebrate the lives of women and the occasional household appliance. The Formica table, though, has a special place in the collection. Please note, in this interview, there are references to suicide. Uh, for us, it was a great moment, a shift when we were, we thought we'd become quite flash. And the wooden table, which mum used for ironing and for rolling pastry on, because she didn't have a big bench, was suddenly put out in the wash house. And we had this Formica table and it had an extension so you could pull it out and <laughs> make it bigger. And yeah, it was a big moment in, in the family history. <laughs> Flash furniture. <laughs> it, was, it was a fashion statement. And as I say, there weren't many colours, but there were several. They were also robust, you know. It felt like they could take yes. anything because they were really the centre of, of life in a way that dining room tables simply aren't now. And I think kind of the ease of being able to wipe it down with a wet cloth, whereas before, you know, you, you had a sort of a, a tablecloth that needed washing virtually after every meal, whereas a you could put a, a tablecloth across your formica, but, you know, for a casual meal, you could just wipe it down. And, and my mother had a terrazzo bench, which was actually, I think they're now probably really expensive to buy, a sort of a stone bench. Well, that was replaced with formica, and that was a great moment at the same time to have a formica bench, yeah. I can honestly say that around our table there was never any poetry. That was not the case <laughs> for you. I love these stories about your mum. Yes, I know. It's really interests me too, because in retrospect, I recognise the gift she gave us. She loved words. She left school age 12, and I don't know how or why, but she went to elocution, and uh, this is down in Nelson, and she died when I was 22, going on 23, and I was travelling overseas and came home. I hadn't really formed the kind of relationship with her that you have when you get to know your mum. So, I don't really know how she got into elocution, but she used to recite quite dramatic rhyming doggerel for us. It was just something she did. And in, in fact, my father would recite Ganga Din and things like that. And he had quite an um, ordinary education too. So just part of that era, I think. You've got lots of references to linoleum too. And gosh, that takes me back. It really did go with the formica, didn't it? And some lovely lines, you know, you polish the floors, your reflection in linoleum. I mean, that was it. They were highly, they were highly polished. They were, it was actually sort of a status symbol that your mother, well, my mother, she would actually um, somehow take the polish off and then you re-wax. It was kind of a really big thing. And she did it almost daily, this this polishing of the floor. And um, she didn't go out to work. She actually was quite an unwell person. She had one kidney at the age of 18. So housework and cooking were kind of a passion with her. Yeah, the linoleum, when, when the, the new linoleum went down, there is a poem about it. My aunt, who, who was a, a shorthand typist and unmarried and had flash clothes in her own car, came for tea on Friday night because my mum would always make homemade fish and chips and she walked across the new lino in her stilettos. So alas, that was a moment the family sort of never forgave her for because <laughs> the, you know, the lino was pitted, but it was too late then. <laughs> 
the, the women's stories, your own, and, and you know, as a grandmother, um, as a mother, your mother's stories shine through in the collection. But you mentioned your dad, and he's certainly got a strong place there. And the fact that these early years, the 1950s, post-war, they were tough years. Yeah, they were. They were very tough. He was raised by his grandmother. He, his grandmother had quite a large family, and then her, one of her daughters had my father out of wedlock, so he was raised by his grandmother, but she was quite resentful of that. Um, and he was very close to his grandfather who died while my father was a prisoner of war. So my father came back from the war and he was, um, my mother was four or five years older than him and they got married post-war. And I think they had a lot of things going on. Mum wasn't well, dad had, I guess, post-traumatic stress. He would, he would actually volunteer to go for shock treatment and that seemed to work for him. But he also would go down to Hannah to dry out and it was just a time, really. But I had a, I had a very loving, I mean, you know, all of this sounds really awful, but in fact, I think I had a really um, good childhood, you know, along with all of that. Oh, I mean, there's a, so much joy and love that shines through the poems. Um, but I, I must admit, when I came to the coroner's report, it shifted gear for me, the collection. That's a, yes. that's a tough poem. Yes, and it's an interesting one because what happened, I think, in that era was we didn't process our grief we weren't given room we weren't it wasn't acknowledged so when my brother took his own life it was quite shocking and people around us didn't mention the word suicide so it was kind of like unmentionable and so I think it took me years to process grief because you kind of just tucked it away and so I think my poems have been a way of exploring that. I mean, my mother died. I had to come home from overseas and pack up a flat in a hurry in Sydney. And I was resentful that I had to do that. And so I've also processed losing her over a long period. Yeah, whereas I think nowadays we understand grief in a better way and are more able to perhaps deal with it when it happens, yeah. There's the, the fun of the teenage years, though, too, that you have here, the, the Saturday matinee. The matinees were, um, were exciting, were a highlight. You know, we don't do it so much now, but in the day, that's how you spent your Saturday oh. afternoon. I just loved the Saturday matinee, and it was, it was the whole thing, queuing for the ice cream. And I don't think I had as rich a childhood in books. We, we always got school-free manuals and things like that. But I think my storytelling maybe comes from going to the movies. It's where my idea of story and has come from, yeah. Ode to My Kenwood is just <laughs> delightful. And I remember oh, the old Kenwoods myself, you know, but it's it's just one of those exquisite poems that it's when we get to the last four lines that we understand what this is really about. I mean, it is about your Kenwood dying when it was whipping cream just at the worst possible time. <laughs> but, but it's about so much more. Yeah, when, when my children were babies, I bought the Kenwood, you know, and it was like, wow, you know, it was such a luxurious thing to have. My mother beat all her cakes by hand, tiny little thing with these great muscles. And so my, my Kenwood was just a luxurious, and, and it just kept going. But then when it did die, it died at a really bad moment and was quite smelly. <laughs> and yeah, and so my granddaughter had learned my local granddaughter here in New Zealand had learned to cook alongside of me. So yeah, this was written for my granddaughter, Sienna Liv. Ode to my Kenwood. The mechanic wants to know, did you stop when the smoke arose? Was there a pop 
before you stopped whipping the cream? We rescued the cream, almost whipped, and then by hand with a fat metal whisk, we finished the beating to a full fat froth. You, my trusty Kenwood, with your dough hook and your forever useful K-blade, your cream beating heart of steel. From the kitchen bench, you've watched us, felt the panic when a mixture curdled on your watch, heard me swear, caught whole eggs that slipped from our fingers before they cracked, held the shells intact as if you knew how to soften the blow and now through wear and tear of 40 years you've stopped our granddaughter learned to make cakes with you she licked your sturdy bowl cleaner than a dishwasher preferring the butter sugar mix and sometimes ignoring her mother's advice not to eat raw eggs just in case you've up and died my lovely kenwood just at the moment when our granddaughter has sprung her teenage wings. I'm missing the two of you. Your last poem, Who Am I, kind of, I don't know if it was the last one that you wrote, but it really brings together the rest of the collection because you're following through as the, as the daughter, as the mother, as the, as the grandmother. And for Micah gets another mention in the you know, popular culture, <laughs> we come back and, and you bet your dad and your mum. So I wondered if that was the last poem that you wrote, having immersed yourself in these memories of yours for this collection. That's interesting, Lynn, because it wasn't. And in fact, I think the last two are the naughty little sexy poems, <laughs> which John's agreed I could put in. <laughs> Somehow the poems have just come from various experiences in my life. And we have a cross-cultural family, we have a family, two grandchildren in Seoul. So those poems were new, visiting my family and my granddaughter was stranded here in the first lockdown. So all of the poems have kind of been separate. Some have been published in, you know, anthologies. And actually, I have to give Mary McCullum of Cuba Press huge credit because she ordered them. She chose the first and the last poem and she's done, you know, she made it really, really work. And that's the beauty of working with a really insightful publisher, I guess. Maggie Rainey-Smith's poetry collection is called Formica and it's a Cuba Press publication. At least uh, sent in a text to say, I'm still using my Formica table, have had it renovated but still in love with the fold-out leaf. Just trying to remember, I'm pretty sure ours was one of the red ones.